Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Hello, it is great to be with you this morning. My name's Jake and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Riverside. It's great to have you with us this morning as we continue our Emerge series, looking at how we can become visible again. I don't know how you found this series so far. Hopefully you found it really helpful, really encouraging. This couldn't be any more practical of a series. It's all about putting things in place to help us as we become visible again, as restrictions loosen and maybe even one day are completely lifted. Can you imagine the day? Can I encourage us all, as we journey through this series together, to allow the Emerge series, to allow what's being said to affect our lives. Each week there's been a very clear, practical and, in my opinion, really helpful suggestion of something very practical that every single one of us can do off the back of the talk, to reflect from the talk, to make an action from the talk. Are we doing these? Have we been doing this each week? If if you want a reminder, the first week, week one, Simon talked about doing this rule of life. He challenged each of us to come up with our own rule of life, to think and to write down how we are going to be intentional going forward in prayer, in rest, in work and in relationships. Week two, Keely talked on grief and on loss. And she encouraged each of us to spend some time thinking about and again writing down what it is that we have lost over the last year, each individually, because it's different for each one of us, what we have lost over the last year. And to go from that place to allowing ourselves to grieve, to allowing ourselves to seek God about these things and to pray. And then last week, Simon talked about how God meets us in the mystery. And his challenge really was that we would not distract ourselves by anything going on or to try to control everything, but instead to embrace the unknown, to embrace what God might want to do in this time. He challenged us not to distract ourselves, but to embrace the unknown. I think if we want to get the most out of this series, out of this very practical series, as individuals and as a church, we need to be participants of the series and not an audience. We need to be participants and not an audience. And one of those things is putting things into place, 
responding to these talks and spending time thinking about what action you are going to make as a response to what's been said. This week, I'm going to be talking about emerging in community. My plan of today is to give a really practical and simple framework for us to build and rebuild community. Now, some of you, and in reality, probably very few of you, may remember that it was only about six weeks ago when I was speaking about community, about how we are created for community and why community is so important. And I don't want to spend this morning repeating myself because even though you may not remember what I said, I remember what I said and I'll get so bored if I just repeat six weeks ago sermon. But I thought it would be helpful to start by jogging our memories and doing a quick recap on why six weeks ago Jacob Perrins thought it was so important for us to care about community. So let me do that now. Firstly, we started by looking at how the early church responded to what is called the Great Commission that you see at the end of the book of Matthew which, by the way, this Great Commission talks about making disciples. There's two parts of disciple-making, mission and maturity. So how did the early church respond to the call of their lives to mission and to maturity? Well, what they did is they created community. And that's what Jesus did throughout his life, and I'll come on to that a bit later. But it's also how the early church started. When I was speaking six weeks ago, I mentioned the term oikos, not only as the Greek yogurt, but oikos meaning extended family or close-knit community. And it was within these oikos, within the oikos structure, that the gospel spread in the early church and people were discipled. In fact, it was within the Oikos setting that the church basically kicked off. We looked at the story of Acts, where Paul, Aquila and Priscilla were united by their job as tent makers and built a community from their tent makers workshop. And from that place, the church in Corinth was built. From that foundation of community of these tent makers, the church in Corinth was built. And we looked at how there are many places in the world today, especially where Christian persecution is particularly high, where churches have been forced to meet underground in little communities. But the result of these small communities has been some of the biggest growth that Christianity has ever seen. Strong community has sparked revival. And when we looked at this together, we couldn't ignore how effective this community uh, strategy, if you like, really was. So we looked together at why real community is so valuable. And I gave three reasons why I thought it was so effective. The first reason was that we are created for community in the image of a communal God. 
Father, Son and Holy Spirit in relationship always, even before they created anything, inherently communal, created us in his image to be communal. Secondly, community empowers all believers to be a discipler and to be a disciple, to be someone that can disciple others and to be someone who is willing to be discipled by others. And community empowers all people to take their faith as their own. So the second thing was that, that it empowers all believers. And thirdly, I said that mission is most effective within community. Figures show that the vast majority of people who come to church for the first time do so because they are invited by a friend, because they have a friend who is already a follower of Jesus. It is off the back of friendship often where people choose to find out who this Jesus really is. So that's a quick little recap of what I spoke about six weeks ago when I first talked about community. And if you did miss that talk, then feel free to head over at some point to our YouTube channel where all of the talks are still online. But it's important for me to start by reminding us of these foundations of community, reminding us how important community is and importantly for me, setting me up to now talk about how we can emerge from lockdown with strong community. And that's what I want to look at, how we can emerge from lockdown in community. For lots of people, the idea of seeking community, of, I guess, putting ourselves out there, of making the step to try to find community is something that can cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of stress. When I was a child, and and I've got to be honest, sometimes often today, I really struggled to put myself out there with friendships. If I was invited to join someone, for example, if people were playing football and they invited me to come and join them to play football, then I'd be straight over, I'd be fine, I'd be happy, I'd be confident. I could join without hesitation. But whilst other kids were able to go and ask people, actively seek out those people and ask if they could join and play football, I would sit on the sidelines and wait to see if I was going to be asked to join. And if I wasn't asked, I wouldn't take that step. I would silently sit on the sidelines and hope that I would be invited to join. I remember one moment when I was in primary school where I was brutally rejected when I wanted to make a new friend. And don't worry, this isn't a trauma for me, so you can laugh at me as I tell you this story. There was a boy in my class called Luca, and I really wanted to be his friend. He played football, And he had a great left foot. So for me, I was sold. We were going to be best friends forever. That was enough. So one day, I asked my mum if I could invite Luca to come round next Friday. And my mum said, yes. This was my chance. This would be my defining moment. The moment where I made a new best friend. I was so ready for this. 
So I started planning what we were going to do when we play football, when we'd play football on the PlayStation, when we'd eat and talk about football. And I even said to my mum, why don't I ask him if he comes for a sleepover? And again, my mum said, yes, this was so exciting. I was about to make a new best friend. So the next day I go to school and I am ready to tell Luca to invite him round my house this Friday for the best sleepover ever. I was so excited, I bounced into school and I ran over to find him straight away. Luca, Luca, I asked my mum, do you want to come round this Friday for a sleepover? We'll play football, we'll... See, if you were gonna give an excuse why you wouldn't go to someone's house, If you were to give an excuse why you don't want to go to their house for a sleepover, you think you'd come up with something that's a big deal, something that makes the other person feel like, okay, fair enough for me to be second best to this. His response to my pleading for him to come round for a sleepover was this. Sorry, I can't. On Fridays... I get a donut after school. I was rejected because of Donut Friday. Absolutely unbelievable. I do not believe it. I had to get that one in there. But seriously, like me, after this moment, you may have had moments where you have struggled to put yourself out there, to build community where the idea of making a step towards doing so causes stress and causes anxiety. Where you second guess everything that you do and you say socially. We can sometimes come away from a conversation, can't we, and think, why on earth did I say that? Why did I look so awkward? Why were my, what was I doing with my hands? Why did I say that with such confidence when I'm not even sure if I believe what I was saying? I think this time of lockdown and the lack of social uh, contact and the increase in loneliness will, will have left lots of us, whilst excited to see people again maybe, lacking confidence socially. Because we're all different people with different personalities, different life experiences that affect the way that we feel about building, rebuilding community. I don't know if you've already had some awkward social encounters since lockdown started to ease, where you've almost forgotten how to speak to someone, where you say something that you're like, oh dear, where you stand in an awkward way, when you think, how do I start conversations? Or more importantly, how do I end conversations? I think we're going to be carrying this slight social awkwardness as we emerge from lockdown because we're out of practice socially. We've been out of the social gym for a year. We might not now be able to lift as much as we could before, but as we slowly get back into it, we will build back up our social muscles and relearn how to socialise. But it is important that we do, 
that we do relearn how to socialise, that we do start to build up our social muscles, that we put ourselves out there again and make an effort to build community. Because as I said before, we are created to be in community and therefore we thrive in community, individually and as a church together. So how can we do that well? How can we get back to building real community off the back of the year that we've had? Well, Jesus seemed to have a strategy. In Luke's gospel, there are three different son of man sayings to tell you who Jesus is, what he was like. And one of these sayings is this. The son of man came eating and drinking. Seems like a funny thing to say about Jesus. One of the characteristics to bring out about Jesus is that he came eating and drinking. And it's not just saying that to explain his humanness. Because you see throughout the Bible, in fact, he was eating and drinking so much that people would say of him that he is like a drunkard and a glutton. Now, I'm not for one second saying that Jesus was a drunkard or a glutton. But Luke's gospel is full of Jesus having a meal with people. In fact, take the meals out of the gospel of Luke and you're left with practically nothing. Luke 5, Jesus eats with Levi. Luke 7, he eats with Simon the Pharisee and a prostitute walks in. All the Pharisees didn't like that. Luke 9, he feeds 4,000. Luke 10, he has a meal with Mary and Martha. Mary gets it right. Martha kind of gets it wrong. In Luke 9, he condemns the Pharisees. Where? At dinner. Luke 9, uh, Luke, where am I? Luke 14, he invites the poor to a feast. The Pharisees didn't like that. Luke 19, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for tea. All the Pharisees did not like that. Luke 22, Jesus at a Passover meal and kind of reinterprets the whole Passover thing and says this, there's a new kind of Passover. Yeah, Pharisees really didn't like that either, to be fair. And Luke 24, Jesus has a meal with some walkers. And these are just the moments that are written down. These are just the moments where something happened during the meal that's worth writing about. Not everything that Jesus did in scripture is uh, in his life is in the Bible. But yet there are so many occasions where we read about him eating with people, drinking with people. Luke's gospel makes a point that Jesus was constantly eating and drinking with people. So what was it about meals with people that Jesus liked? Maybe he was just a proper foodie. Maybe he was the kind of person that you feel a bit awkward ordering a burger when you go out for a meal with because you know that they're judging you because they're getting something they've never eaten before. Or maybe Jesus just loved a good glass of wine. Or maybe it was something a bit more intentional. Part of the rhythm of life that Jesus called the disciples to was to eat meals with people. If I asked you, where is it 
that followers of Jesus, uh, followers of Jesus meet, I presume you probably say, well, quite often it's the church building. Well, I'd suggest that if we ask the same question to the disciples, their answer could be the dinner table. When you read the book of Luke, it is clear that for Jesus, the dinner table was a tool for building community and doing discipleship. Now, we may be worried about how to rebuild community, how to build community back up. And I want to suggest that the best place to start is around the dinner table. Because the dinner table is possibly your best tool that you own for community and for discipleship. Why? Well, let me give you three reasons why the dinner table is such a good tool. Firstly, at a meal, everyone participates. As you come round a table, you are joining together in activity. Everyone around the table is doing the same thing. The simple activity of eating and drinking. And I know this is super simplistic, but it's also important. Because as we participate together, we share together. Does anyone else hate sharing food? When I was a kid, every time I had a friend round, I would hide my favourite dessert behind my back and offer them everything else other than my favourite. And my favourite normally, if you're interested, was a Milky Bar yoghurt. So every time I had a friend round, I'd grab the Milky Bar yoghurt out of the fridge and then say, you can have anything in this fridge. This came to bite me in the bum one day when we had students round after church and it got to dessert and I realised we only had one cherry bakewell. So before offering out any desserts to the students, I hid the cherry bakewell behind my back, offered them whatever they want, but my mum caught me. And my mum said to me, Jake, you need to offer round the cherry bakewell before you choose to have it yourself. So 12-year-old Jake thought, well, the thing is, these students are going to be far too awkward when I clearly want this cherry bakewell to come to my house and take my cherry bakewell away from me. So I was like, well, okay then. Does anyone want this cherry bakewell? No, no, no. About to eat it. And one of the students goes, yep, grabs it off me and gobbles it in one. I was furious. I think he was probably trying to teach me a lesson. Part of having a meal together is sharing. And when there's sharing, there's serving. Community thrives when we can serve one another. Cooking a meal for someone and sharing it with them is an act of service from which community is built. So the first reason that I think it's such a good tool is that everyone participates. The second reason that the dining table is such a good tool for community is because it slows everything down. Isn't Christmas dinner a funny time for a child, especially if you have guests? 
I remember being gutted when I found out that we had guests round for Christmas dinner because I knew exactly what that meant. This was going to take ages. I wanted to enjoy my Christmas dinner and then immediately get down and play with a present that I might have got that morning. But when other people were around, Christmas dinner was taking hours. People were talking. People were chatting about their life. I just wanted to get on with what I was doing. And then there's the slow eaters. When everyone is finished and you watch them, knife and fork in hand, a full plate in front of them that they're clearly wanting to eat, but they're taking their time with it. And they're just chatting away whilst everyone else's plate is completely empty. And you're thinking, are you going to eat your food or not? But slowing down when building community is so important. When things are slowed down, when there's no rush, that's when you can take time time to ask questions and take time to give real answers. That's why some of the best conversations happen in the kitchen rather than in the lounge. And that's why there's such a difference in the kind of conversations you would have at work or you would have even before a church service. Because in those settings, you've got tasks that you're doing. You're waiting for church to begin or something that you've got to do. So when you ask someone how they are as you're walking along the corridor, you're not going to get a great answer. But when you've got time to sit down and ask someone how they're doing, you're able to listen to what's going on and you're able to get to know more deeply who they are. Meals force us to be people orientated rather than task orientated. Meals force us to be people orientated rather than task orientated. And this is what Jesus was like. This is how community is built. Do you remember the story of Jesus going to Mary and Martha's house? And Martha was task orientated. She, out of good intentions, wanted everything to to be perfect for Jesus. And Mary was people orientated. And Jesus said, well done to Mary. When we try to build community with people, let's be more like Mary. Let's be people orientated rather than task orientated. When things get slowed, when we focus on the people and not the tasks, that is where relationships are built. Discipleship can take place and community thrives. Sharing meals together isn't the only way to do community, but it is one off, if not the best. My final reason that meals are a great way to do community is this. Every meal we have together anticipates the great feast that is yet to come. This is where communion first took place, around the dinner table, at a meal with friends. In fact, you could theologically argue that this is where 
communion is supposed to take place most frequently. Because eating together foreshadows what is to come when we have a great feast together in eternity. I'm not going to pretend that we always do this, but this is why when we join with friends for a meal, it's great for us to pray before eating. Because in doing so, you're recognising God's provision and you're looking forward to what is to come. So meals are a really simple biblical strategy for how to build community. And I want to suggest this morning that if we do it intentionally, as we come out of lockdown, we will be able to grow stronger communities, both within our church and with our friends who don't follow Jesus. There are lots of people at the moment, our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, who are longing for community and friendship as we come out of lockdown. Meals can be a great tool for us to emerge with strong communities within the church, but it can also be a strong strategy for mission. What does mission look like in this setting around a dinner table? Or to use less churchy language, what does it look like to build good friendships uh, with those who don't follow Jesus around the dinner table? Well, Jesus had a specific order of doing things. Invite, listen, invest, tell. This is the way we can approach community with everyone, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not wherever they are on their faith journey. It starts with an invitation. It continues with listening and investing. And then you have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. Two mistakes that Christians often make. One is going straight into the teaching and the telling and ignoring relationship, ignoring the individual and ignoring their life experience and their past. And the second mistake is completely leaving out the telling, being too afraid to ever bring up Jesus, to explain your faith and to speak about how he loves them. But whether we want to build community with people in the church or with people that don't go to church, it starts with an invitation. And I suggest that the best invitation is an invitation to eat with you, to have dinner or to have a drink with you. And when we're in these places, once we've stepped out, become vulnerable and invited someone in, all we need to do then is be real, listen to others' life stories and not put on a front. The house doesn't need to look perfect. You don't need to have the right books on your shelf. You don't need to feel like you've got it all together because no one does. But all you need to do is have an interest in the person and a willingness to invite God into your space. So I want to set a really practical challenge this week, which I believe that if we all stuck to, if we all did this, there would be amazing results for us as a church. And the challenge is this. Can you as a family or an individual have a meal or a drink with someone or a group of people at least once a week 
until lockdown is fully over, hopefully, on the 22nd of June. I know there are different circumstances that make this harder for some people. And over the next three weeks, it will have to be either on Zoom or if you have a garden, then there. But from then onwards, it can be in your house. In one sense, this is a really easy uh, challenge to follow because we all need to eat. We all need to drink. But in another, it means stepping out getting to know people better and being vulnerable. I really believe that if we can do that, if we can stick to this challenge, not only will it help us to emerge out of lockdown better socially, but it will help us to build a stronger, better community that will bring us closer to God, closer together, and to be more and more attractive to those that don't know Riverside. Are we up for doing that? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you put people in our lives to have community with. Thank you that you love community and that you lived a life of community when Jesus was on the earth. And we just pray that you help us to be vulnerable in the times that feel difficult to step out. I know that there's so many different circumstances of people watching today. Some people have moved to a new area during lockdown. Some people have lost family members, friends, close uh, communities during lockdown. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to heal from those and to be vulnerable and willing to build and rebuild new communities around us that we will be able to go deeper with people, slow things down. Thank you for the tool of the dinner table. And we pray that you help us to use that to grow as people and followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.